damn it. Janet, I, I love wasn't gonna you. go into the song. And now oh, we covered Rocky Horror Picture Show. No, that's your thing. Here's the problem. I'm not good at covering the stuff like you, you do. You don't know someone that. Someone needs to cover someone by someone. I mean, you <laughs> need to cover Clue and Rocky Horror. See, and again, show. you have to do it because that's your passion. Oh, that's why. I'm that's why you have passion. Hey guys, welcome back to Couple Goals with S&M. Hello. We are on episode 36. This is going up on Monday and last night, Sunday, we dropped episode 35 and a half, which is actually a full length episode. It's 35 with those last 17 minutes back into it. So it turns out I did have the full file saved. So I was able to get go back into it and re-edit those last minutes and upload it. So if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, it's up there. I put it up last night unannounced. I just kind of threw it up. And if you're a $5 patron or higher, I guess, um, it there is an alternate ending that we recorded. Director's what, cut. Yeah, when we thought that nobody, when we thought that that ending was missing forever, you'll actually hear in that ending where I realized I still had the source file. <laughs> Right. Um, that we threw up on Patreon, Patreon patrons, like we threw it up there. So you can you can hear that where we try to recap Beavis and Butthead poorly. It's like a nine well, minute. There's also a little bit of different information. Oh, yeah, there is more information. Sean pulled the um, article. And also in housekeeping news, I have shut down the store. So if you want merch, you can still just reach out to me and I can get you a one-off shirt. But I did shut down because it does cost me every month to run it. And I've decided to shut it down so that way I don't have to manage it and pay for it. I'm also sick this week. Yeah, I ate sick. some bad chicken. I don't have full-on like salmonella or anything, but I had some undercooked chicken. You think? I'm pretty positive yeah. on Friday because this isn't my first run-in with that. Yeah. Um, on Friday and I'm on day two of being pretty sick from that. Yeah. I didn't even think we were going to record an episode, but you're definitely doing better than you were yesterday. Oh yeah. I'm way, way, way better. So if I sound off or if I sound like I'm fading, that's why. Yeah. So it might be a little quick this week. It might not be as long as normal. Well, I have a couple of things I was going to address. All right. One of them. I briefly address in the Patreon episode, but I still wanted to bring it up, which is D DC Warner Brothers slash DC has hired James Gunn to direct a DC movie. Mm -hmm. As I predicted, a lot of people predicted that, but he's going to be doing Suicide Squad 2, which is fucking terrible. That's a total waste of his talents because Su Suicide Squad 1 was fucking awful. The only thing good that came out of it was Harley Quinn. Margot Robbie nailed Harley Quinn. Everything else in that movie is just utter trash. So I don't know why they're making a sequel to that movie. They should do what my other thought was, which was have him do a Green Lantern movie, since he, he has an interest in the cosmic characters. But alas, it's DC and Warner Brothers, and they're a bunch of fucking idiots. So hopefully they don't squander his talents. I can't believe he made us go on a Warner Brothers tour when we were in L.A., I, I really like that. I love Batman and the Matrix. You didn't even care about the awesome pink car from. Oh, from. from yeah, Suicide but there was Squad. all the other Batmobiles, <laughs> like yeah. actual Batmobiles. I cared a lot about those. I really like that part of our trip. I enjoyed that quite a bit being on a movie set. We did get to see all the stuff from the Matrix. Yeah, we, we and you got to see the Matrix chairs. Just that whole that. alley where they filmed so many different movies Annie. over the years. Everything from. Annie, all the way up to National more recent Lampoons. movies. Yeah, National Lampoon's uh, Greatest vacation. Showman, which we haven't even seen. Gremlins. Oh, speaking of Gremlins, I got that uh, gizmo. <laughs> yeah, you did. Which I haven't touched since last week when we filmed, so. And then on a personal note, I was going to talk about the show I went to last night. Oh, yeah. That you were supposed to attend, but you were to far attend. too sick. Didn't work out. So one of my favorite bands is Revocation. They're a modern technical thrash death metal band 
I guess. No, I have seen Revocation you other did. times. Uh, you saw them about a year ago. I feel like it was yesterday. I can't believe it was a year ago. I saw it in my um, on my Instagram. I think it was in November, so it was a little less than a year ago. I can't believe I can't believe how much time has passed. I I seriously feel like it was yesterday. So yeah, that picture on my Instagram is the one you took of Dave Davidson rocking my face off. Yeah. No, I think Brad took it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think Brad took that. So anyway, I went to go see them again. That's probably the fifth time I've seen them. I think. I don't, I'm not sure. You took, exactly. you took a guitar lesson with him once. I took a guitar lesson with him once. He, he's my favorite current guitar player like in metal. His name is Dave Davidson. Yes. Did Dave you already Davidson. say that? Yeah. Dave Davidson. That's, a, that's such a funny name. <laughs> he's like. Dave or David, Dave Davidson. No, <laughs> that's, it's not all that. So anyway, there's a, a small club in Akron Kent area called The Outpost. And since you were sick, I didn't really get to tell you anything. So I thought I'd tell you on the podcast because okay. there, there was yeah, some we drama. Yeah, we talked about it. There was some drama. It was pretty fun. Aside from the show was a good time. Revocation absolutely crushed it. If you have any interest in modern metal, highly recommend going to see Revocation. You even had a good time when you saw them. Yeah, they're in. They're enjoyable. And, I mean, they're very loud. And they're just monster players, too. I yeah. wear, and you do, too, I, earplugs. Absolutely. I can't imagine. Like, my, my ears are ringing just slightly today. So I can't imagine. And oh, Brad leaned over to me and when we were at the show, and he's like. Brad's a friend of the show as well. Yes, friend of the show. What's up, Brad? I got, I got him into earplugs. And I was like, see, sometimes those old metalheads know what we're talking about. I was like, I damaged my hearing so you don't have to, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> yeah. he leaned over. He's like, I couldn't imagine the show without your And he was right. Like, I mean, you could feel the bass drums like in your spine. Yeah. And, and, but uh, so early in the night when one of the opening bands was playing, I think it was Rivers of Nile. They're like a technical death metal band from Pittsburgh. Pretty good. I, I really like their first album. I haven't really listened to their second one. But I was standing right by someone's merch booth, some other band. I don't remember whose. The pit was very rowdy. I'm glad I wasn't there. There was like these two frat frat boys in the pit. They looked identical. They were they were really muscular. They both had bas- backwards baseball caps on, really tight T-shirts and, and, and loose jeans. And but one had a red hat, and one had a blue hat. It was like Goofus and Gallon or something. It was well. But, you were right by Kent State, so yeah. it, it makes sense that and there were frat boys. It, I think it was Red Hat guy. I'm not sure. Sorry, Red Hat or Blue Hat guy. If I'm confusing He's you guys, not, they're not listening. Right. Anyway, I see he comes running out of the pit towards the, like running out of the pit towards the merch booth. Like behind the merch booth, just like, you know, in a moshy kind of dance run, whatever. And he's carrying a beer. And I don't know if he tripped or what. It all happened so fast. But his beer went all over this merch that was on the floor in in these uh, Rubbermaid totes that they carry their merch around. in, And it went all all in there. Like and inside the totes? Yeah, they were open. Like the, the lids expensive. were open. Exactly. Those people pay up front for those. Like oh, that's- I know. Yeah. That's expi- and when and this, these are small bands, obviously. Right. And they, that's a know. lot of money that they're paying for that. So he spilled this beer everywhere. And again, I, I don't think it was intentional, but it's hard to say. I, I really don't think it was intentional. He was drunk. He was an asshole. He was super rowdy. And I mean, there was a lot of rowdy people. It was a very violent pit. It was, it was very fun to watch. Very entertaining. Um, Yikes. But anyway, so he spills his beer and then he goes back in the pit. And now I'm just... I'm watching the merch guys now. I'm not even paying attention to the show. But now they have like flashlights and they're going through trying to these, these the totes, of, trying to figure out yeah. what's been affected, what's been damaged and everything. And the guy man in the booth, he's not a very big guy at all. He's a he's a short guy, you know, he's slim trying, build. Man, he doesn't probably doesn't want to get killed by. Probably. However, he grabs he grabs a beer, goes and runs in the pit and just dumps it all over the dude. <laughs> Actually, I don't. I think he dumped it on him. I don't think he hit him with it. He might have hit him with it. I couldn't see because there's people in front of me. Balls on that guy. But the guy was soaking wet with beer, and the dude comes running out, obviously, because he's you know he's frat boy extraordinaire. So he comes charging at this little Holy dude. Holy shit! And there's no oddly. I'm so glad I wasn't there. You know, you know how I don't know. Security is a weird situation. I'm like, if, where am I clonopin at? Like, if, I would have been having a nervous <laughs> breakdown at the bigger shows. You know, if you show up. We're wearing a wallet with a chain on it. You can't take it in. You right. know, like they're they're very strict. These smaller shows, security 
is very light. That I think they're basically just watching to make sure nobody steals somebody's gear. You know what I mean? It's weird. And and these are the smaller shows, the more underground shows. And this was a, a pretty packed house too. Yeah. They they didn't have a lot of security, so I didn't. See, I don't know that security really. I think one security guy got involved, but frat boy number two came over to hold him back because he was a, he was trying to kill little guy. And it, I, I I saw the dude grab. A, I forgot this part till just now. He grabbed like a beer bottle. Like he was going to go hit him with it. This giant dude was going to go hit this dude with the, with this beer bottle. And so but so I'm watching that whole altercation and they get the guy outside and call the cops and, and get rid of him eventually. But like normally I'm sure a lot of people don't go to metal shows, think shit like that happens all the time because of the aggressive nature I've of the music. I've never seen shit like yeah, that Yeah, but it, it doesn't happen a lot. I don't see a lot. of So that was high drama. Um, very, very distracting from the show. And then I almost got into some shit later in the show. Yeah. Why? So you're old. You shouldn't get into shit. No, I shouldn't. Nobody should get into shit at all. But this really pissed me off. And you know me at a show. I just keep to myself. I, you know what I mean. I do rock out. I get into the music. That's what I'm there Unless for. Unless I'm there. In that case, you're you're very aggressive when I'm there. What does that mean? That one Pantera show that, that I was went a long to. time ago, and that was I, I don't. That was I wasn't aggressive. That guy like nailed you. And it turned out I was pregnant, but I didn't know yet. Right. But he apologized. So all he was did. good. Yeah. And all, that dude was huge. He would have kicked my ass. But anyway, let, yeah. let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but still, I wasn't going to, you know, he didn't do it on purpose. It was just a crazy pit. However, what happened to me, this was different because I'm used to getting hit in the pit or like I was we were Brad and I were standing right outside the pit, which which we do a lot. And you get people that barrel into you. It just happens. You push them back. You catch them. Yeah, whatever. I know. I've been with you. Right. And you insist on standing that close. Yeah. Until that I like one, to watch the pit. That one wall of death. When I was just like, nope, 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 <laughs> nope, nope, nope. nope. And I nope the fuck right out of there. Right. But I mean, you're gonna get hit, and you know, if you go in the pit, that that's all fine and good. So I didn't, you know, when I see revocation, I like to go stand right up against the stage. You like to stand right in. Dave Davidson's crotch. That's your favorite place <laughs> right. to stand. Yes, I like I like when he plays guitar in my face. Right. You're like, if I could just nuzzle right here in your balls, that would be good. That's so you. I kind of stand just a little bit left of center stage because there's that gap where he'll come over and play guitar in my face. And I love it. It's I love the grossest when he, thing I've ever seen. What, you, when he plays guitar yeah, in your when face? You, when you nuzzle right into his nutsack <laughs> and you're just like, I want He has a guitar so there. That's not possible. Anyway. You would if you could. No. You just nuzzle I, I'm right just in. there for the guitar. I love to watch Dave the Davidson fingers flying. Is like, he's like the little itty bitty guy. He's like so tiny. And Sean just nuzzles right up into his nuts. It's so gross. <laughs> That's not that's, that is gross. That's not what happens. So. I just love watching him play guitar. It's my favorite guitar. I used to do the same thing at Pantera shows. I'd, I'd stand in front of dime bags, uh, microphone, except there's always a huge barrier. So so there's no getting close at a, at a bigger show like that. But well, smaller unless shows, you're that one guy who shot dime right in the fucking gut. Well, that was when they were damage plan. I didn't see him with damage plan. Whatever. Anyway, go on. So anyway, so I'm not right. There's there's like a small barrier between the stage. And, and oh, so it's not like that one show when we saw him. No, and you this, were literally I was like on stage, basically. Yeah. You <laughs> so, were literally like right up in. Right. So there's like a barrier, but there's no gap, really, though. There's a barrier like plywood and but it's it's lower than normal. But there's no room for anybody to stand. So how did you get into some shit? So, well, I'm, I'm trying to explain where I was standing. So I'm standing right behind everybody who's hanging over the barrier. Right. There's like that. I guess you call it the front row. So I'm, I'm like second row, if you can call it that. That's where I was last time when you saw him because right. you were front row. Yes. And I was I was behind you because you wanted you wanted nutsack view. And I <laughs> no. was like, if he's I a guitar. Could be- <laughs> he plays guitar. There's no nutsack view. He has an amazing looking guitar. It's a Jackson Warrior seven string. It's and it's got that wood natural wood finish with. Uh, yeah, it does. It, well, I noticed how nice it was. I love that I guitar. It. It's it's a very cool it's guitar. Very nice. But I as a woman. It looks like nutsack view to me. Anyway, and it's really gross, and I don't want like no. So thanks. I'm I'm standing there, and I'm behind a guy and his girlfriend, <laughs> and I'm like kind of you know I'm in between my heads, in between their heads, so to speak. Like you know, I'm looking through right them. So like the so movie I have to look over them, right? You're like, you know, you're offset. Yeah. Yeah. And you know the the pit gets violent, and you get pushed, you get crushed, and right. that happens. And that's yeah. just there's nothing you can do about. It. Well, one time. I got pushed and it like held and I so I stuck my hand out and I used the barricade. I like I like his girlfriend's here. The guy's here. My hand was like between them on the barricade and I'm like 
you know, trying to get leverage and push back. And the fucking asshole boyfriend rips my hand off the barricade. Like, that's going to help. So I have no balance now. And it hurts. So, and now you're crushing the girlfriend. It, well, yeah. And all I'm, all I'm trying to do is all he had to do is like push into me with his shoulder or something, which yeah. is fine. That's metal show etiquette. You push back when you're getting crushed. Right. That's fine. Ripping my hand off the barricade doesn't do anything. Well, it's going to hurt him more than. Exactly. Yeah. So when the song ended, I got in his fucking face because that's improper metal show etiquette. And so I'm, I'm literally standing right in his ear and I'm just screaming at him and I'm just like, hey, you fucking asshole. Don't touch me. Don't rip my hand off the wall. I'm trying to get my balance. I have 60 people pushing on me. You're supposed to help out. And he wouldn't even turn his head and look at me. He just stared straight ahead because <laughs> he was he like, didn't Oops. say a word. And I was just like, I was like, you look like a bitch in front of your girl. You know, <laughs> Like, like, you know, it's just like, what the fuck? He didn't even say anything. He just stared. I, like, I was expecting. I am so glad I was not at that show last night because I was already like puking and shitting everywhere because of my stomach. If I had been there, I would have had to take a clonopin and I would have for sure just shit the floor like that or puked on those people. Like, it would have been a nightmare for everybody involved. So, yeah, I, I would was, have had to wear a diaper. I was expecting some kind of something back. Either fuck oh. you or I'm sorry. So, you know what I mean? Just some he response. I wasn't going to apologize. And I'm just staring at him. And I realize he's, he's not going to say anything. That's he's like weird. those assholes on the road. Yeah. But he didn't have the protection of his car. Right. So therefore, or the So, internet. he just did the look ahead thing. Just you just stare, stare straight ahead after you fuck up, I guess. <laughs> that tells you so much about his character. Right. He's just like, oh, Lord. And it pissed oh me off, too, because I'm like, I'm the only thing between your girlfriend and these fucking dickheads back here. Right. You know what I mean? And I, you know me. I'm just at the show rocking out. And what, here's what's really cool is like I, I couldn't be front row. Yeah. And that's the other thing that pissed me off about both of them. They were on the rail the whole time. And they weren't I even hate in, being on the rail. They weren't even in. They didn't even acknowledge the band they didn't acknowledge revocation at all he was playing on his phone they weren't bobbing their heads they're both on their phones they, they took pictures and, and footage sometimes but most of the time they were just like he was like they weren't even they weren't mouthing the words they weren't singing the words they weren't throwing fists up they weren't doing anything that was like why are you up here impeding me where i'm trying to actively enjoy the show and what was really cool is anytime i would do the universal symbol for uh like guitar solo, you know, like this, Dave would come over and play for me and it was awesome. But these fucking dickheads kept ruining it. But that's how I got awesome pictures. I would just do the, you know, the, the guitar solo. He's doing some kind of weird hand gesture. In yeah. My like, face. With, like, like with your fret hand, when you, when you play guitar, you, if doing, you do this at a metal show, he's doing some kind of weird fret. You hand do that. Movement. And the cool guitar players will come over and, and solo in your face. And it's really cool. They didn't appreciate that at all though. They didn't appreciate Dave. Davis not sack at Sean all. Sean is absolutely dead serious about revocation. Oh, I love it. When we went last year, I swear to God, it feels like it was yesterday, but we went last year and it was fun. And then we saw Dave Davidson outside afterwards. And I realized that the dude is like my height. He's, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> because on stage, he looks much bigger. Well, yeah, everybody is on stage. I, and then I see him outside and he's like this little itty bitty dude. And it's like, oh, you're so cute. Like, you're so cute. You make all that sound. And put you so, in my purse. Right. And it's like you make all that noise and you're just so tiny itty bitties and you're so good at this and you're so little. But I, quick review of the show, God, though. They, they did I'm sick. They that's did the a, other thing. When I'm sick, that's all, all I can, can think about. about. Yeah. I'm like, I get man sick. <laughs> you do. You get, <laughs> get man sick. I get man sick. It's all I can think about. It's all I can talk about. <laughs> Anyway, go on. Uh, they did almost exclusively stuff from their last three albums. They did like two older cuts, but they did a lot of stuff with extended guitar solos with the, some of the songs with longer guitar solos. And they closed with a song called Witch Trials, which the last three minutes of the song is a guitar solo. And it's like in that my revocation playlist ends with that song because it's like a perfect closing song. So I thought that was really cool. You're and, like, oh, same. Yeah. Same. That, that has one of my that's one of the best guitar solos since Pantera's Floods yeah yeah yep i'll play him for you after the show no you will not not if you want i'm taking back over editing this week just because last week was too many new things with the if you if you aren't in the facebook group and you don't know what's going on last week 
was Sean's first week editing, but we also had him take like we installed the we use Adobe Audition. We use all Adobe products for everything that we do or I do. And we installed it on his computer. He's got a really great computer that he built from scratch. It's it's a beast. And we installed it and installed to a weird drive. And yeah, kept trying to install it, to a drive that was full, even though that's not even the, the default drive. It's got like all this space, but installed to a weird drive and then it compressed weird and it lost those 17 minutes and whatever. So which we didn't even know. We didn't even know until somebody listened because we don't re once you edit, we don't really listen to it. Because yeah, like, it was there when time. I uploaded it for com compressing. So anyway, long story, long story, super short. I'm taking everything back this week. Not permanently, so, though. I plan to. Yeah, just this week because I'm just sitting here on the couch being sick. So who cares? And. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. I'm so sick of you guys. <laughs> anyway, so let's let's begin the actual podcast. Do you want to go first? You want me to go first? I'm going to go first because I'm fading. Okay. So that way I can just kind of get through my shit. Okay. And I have really short notes. Like I have a page and a half as opposed yeah, to my gonna normal. Yeah, it's going to be a shorter episode. We, we just say Just so she has less to edit. Yeah. But it's so, better than nothing. Yeah. So I am doing is continuing my Unsolved Mysteries um, the Circleville Letter Writers, which has been covered on Drunk History. It's actually. Oh, I think I saw that. Yeah, it's actually a pretty common unsolved oh, yeah. mystery. I know this one. Yeah, it's kind of common. I don't know that it's common. I only know it because of that Drunk History. I made you watch it. Yes, you did. So it's um, I actually think it's a really interesting one. It takes place in Ohio, just south of Columbus. Circleville is like 25 miles south of Columbus. And this takes place. Starting in 1976, but it continued in up until the 2000s. And Circleville back in the 70s was the type of place where everybody knew everybody. It was like small town Ohio. Yeah. Starting in 76, sinister, sexually explicit and threatening letters began appearing in the mailbox of Circleville residents. Hmm. They were postmarked from Columbus, Ohio, and they did not include return addresses. Obviously. Yeah. This would have been a really short case. Open otherwise. and shut. <laughs> like, and that's this week's episode. They came from a certain house and that guy was arrested. No. So even though many of the town's 14,000 inhabitants were targeted, one woman was singled out. And she really received some serious and harsh treatment. So we're just going to talk about her. Okay. Uh, Mary Gillespie was a bus driver. And... The Circleville letter writer accused her of having an affair with Gordon Massey, and he was the superintendent of the schools in Circleville. They both denied the affair. They did end up dating several years later. But hmm. at the time, at the time. So this guy they, was a matchmaker or they were having an affair. They they did insist that at the time they were not having I an affair. Bet. But the letters did promise that... They, Wait, was she married? She was, but her husband passed away and they they started dating after. Hmm. So the letters promised that Mary and her children were being watched. So everyone receiving the Circleville letters were really upset. Worse was to follow. Like, so they were everyone was everyone was getting these letters and they all had like really personal weird shit. Yeah. In them, like they were someone, someone they knew. It wasn't was random, clearly, right? Someone they knew was writing these letters, and they were all written like super blocky and like impossible to tell for handwriting analysis. So Mary Gillespie's getting these these letters, and she hides them, and she's like, she's kind of keeping an eye out, seeing if it's a stalker or someone that she can kind of tell who it is, but she she never, you know, she doesn't figure it out. And she does a pretty good job of hiding her terror until one day her husband gets a letter. Her husband, Ron Gillespie. And it's pretty blunt and to the point. And it says, you know, Ron, you need to end your wife's affair or you're going to die. Wow. Yeah. So Mary tells Ron, like, I don't know who the author is and I'm not having an affair. Yeah. And it might have been the... The um, failed attempt at blackmail or the damage to Mary's reputation. But either way, like Mary 
continues on with her life. And Ron is like, well, we're not going to let this get to us. Like, we're just going to continue on. Yeah. But then a new letter arrived. Gillespie. This is a quote. Gillespie, you have two weeks and you have done nothing. Admit the truth. Inform the school board. If not, I will broadcast on CBS posters, signs, billboards until the truth comes out. <laughs> then the letter stopped. But then a phone call on August 17th, 1977 to Ron infuriated him so much that he stormed out of the house armed with a gun. And later that day, they found Ron dead inside his crushed car. Crushed car? Yeah. And they, they deemed it a drunk driving accident. But they couldn't explain how or when Ron's gun was fired. And all of Ron's friends insisted that he didn't drink. Hmm. Yeah. So this ruling angered the Circleville letter writer because, you know, Ron wasn't a drinker, so yeah. he couldn't have been drunk driving. Right. And there was a gun that was like, so clearly that's not what happened. It was a cover up by the sheriff's department. Oh. Yeah. So he returned to his letter writing campaign and he was accusing the sheriff of a cover up. Yeah. And the letters continued through 1983 including some sent to Mary's daughter. And that Jesus. same year, 1983, along her bus route, Mary found an obscene sign that mentioned her daughter. And incensed, she stopped the bus, got out, pulled the sign out of the ground, and discovered it was booby-trapped with a loaded gun. Holy shit. The police traced the gun back to Paul Fresher. Fresher used to be married to Ron's, her dead husband's, sister. The two hmm. had divorced... So it was Mary's former brother-in-law is basically who that was, right? So Paul was arrested on October 24th and stood trial for attempted murder. The prosecution didn't have enough evidence, though, to pin any letters to Paul, but they did mention it during the trial. But he was convicted for the attempted murder charge. Okay. He was sentenced to 7 to 25 years in prison. But here's the thing. So he goes to prison. He was in solitary confinement. And the letters didn't stop. What the so hell? So he... So he's like locked up. What about his wife? But he was divorced. Oh. He had divorced Ron's oh, okay. sister. Letters didn't stop. So Paul's behind bar. He's in solitary. He literally has no access to letters or anything. And the same letters with the same Columbus postmark are coming and they said now now are you going to believe and are you going to get out of there i told you two years ago we set him up did what the fuck yeah don't you listen so paul was released from prison uh, in may of 1994 in 2011 paul or someone purporting to be paul set up a website with a couple documents most notable is a 164-page packet that he sent to the FBI requesting their help in investigating Ron's murder and the origin of the Circleville letters. Interestingly, he does not ask them to investi investigate the crime that he was convicted for, even though he did maintain his innocence the entire time. Hmm. In the letter to the FBI, Paul accuses Sheriff Dwight Radcliffe of being involved in a career-spanning cover-up of corruption. Some of the accusations and conspiracy theories that Paul put forth include that arsenic was included um, in many of the letters and that the letters were actually an attempt to get Gordon Massey, who was a functioning alcoholic, fired after he was asked to leave his previous school district for having an affair with an employee. Man, so involved. Jesus Christ. And that Radcliffe was covering up for Radcliffe was the um, Radcliffe was the sheriff, and the Radcliffe was covering up for other crime, crimes in order to just decrease the town's crime statistics to further his career. Huh. Paul claims that the sheriff had many of the letters that people received in order. That reminds me of Hot Fuzz. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. That he was he. Um, I'm sorry. What was I saying? Paul Paul claimed that the sheriff hid many of the letters to continue covering up the allegations of child molestation by Pickaway County Coroner and the district attorney, the same one who prosecuted Paul, because the district attorney 
impregnated a school teacher and had her murdered. What the fuck? God damn. This is like some TV show shit, man. Right? The official story is that the letter stopped in 1994, around the same time that Paul was released from prison. However, according to a Reddit user, the letters were still being received up until 2001. And unconfirmed letters were received until 2003. Paul died in 2014, and the Circleville letter writer has never been found. What? Talk about how about that for an unsolved mystery from Ohio. I like that one, too, though, because it was not all murdery. It's not. I mean, there's a little bit of murder, but not a lot. It's not all murder. Well, I mean, that impregnated teacher. Who got oh, killed, it will, but yeah, yeah, you touched on that. I don't I don't really go into that because I don't know all the details yeah. there. But isn't that weird? I I do remember watching that, but I didn't remember the details. And then you did mention like was the stop sign with the gun. Yeah. Well, that it was, was a, it was a weird sign on the ground. Shit yeah. talking Mary's daughter. Yeah. That's and crazy. when she pulled it out, there was like a loaded booby trap gun. Yeah. Yeah. And like the drunk history on it is it was a drunk unsolved mystery or drunk mystery is what they called it. It was a special. Oh, OK. And uh, that one was it was it touched a lot more on the Ron's death and stuff. Yeah. But it's very it doesn't go into like the the recent mystery of it. Yeah. Which I think is crazy, too. Like, this guy got locked up and he, the letters continued. Right. Like, so clearly he's not who did it. Yeah. Like. Or he had a partner. Right. Or there was a partner or, like, who knows who did it. There's yeah. so much behind, like, behind the, going on behind the scenes that the whole fucking town. And a town, lot of town drama. It's very hot fuzz. Yeah. It's very weird. Hey, so I'm going to break format a little bit because I forgot to mention this. I have a news story. Oh, okay, that's fine. I want to show you. might know this. This is from the Washington Post. Here's the headline. Inside an abandoned funeral home, colon, a hidden compartment, a casket, and 11 dead infants. No, I I don't know that. This is from yesterday, actually, October 13th. Yeah, I was busy dying yesterday, so I I couldn't read the news. So I'll just read it real briefly here. The horrors inside the old Cantrell funeral home had been cleansed in the spring, people thought. State inspectors had walked into the East Detroit establishment one day in April and found two bodies grown over with mold, the the Detroit Free Press reported. The face of a third was covered with strange fluid. They had been stashed in an unrefrigerated garage for weeks or months, the, the state alleged. Raymond Cantrell, who had taken over the business the previous year, told Fox 2 Detroit that he'd been storing the corpses until their families found money to pay for their funerals, a favor, as he put it. The state disagreed and closed the place down. Never reopened. Lately, there had never been talk, or lately there had been talk of a new owner turning it into a community center, the Detroit News reported. Neighbors saw work crews coming and going, fixing up the stained floors and chipped walls. And then on Friday, the inspectors abruptly came back. They had received an anonymous letter that day. Lieutenant Brian Bowser told reporters outside the funeral home after Detroit police had cordoned it, cordoned it off for the second time since April. The letter contained directions. Uh, it led the inspectors to a hidden compartment in a lowered ceiling, so concealed that Bowser was not sure anyone would have found it otherwise. I wish my last name was Bowser. <laughs> That's a cool last name. Andrew Bowser. I guess it's more of a villainy last name, right? Well, yeah, it's Bowser from Mario. Yeah. <laughs> Inside the ceiling was a cardboard box and a casket. The casket contained two dead infants. Oh, okay. The box held nine more wrapped in trash bags. Yeah, it's where I store my dead infants. Yeah. The attic. So the inspectors called 911 and on Friday night, police were trying to contact Cantrell to ask about the 11 dead babies and what had been once been his ceiling to find out if it was another so-called favor to his cash strapped clients. Yeah, it's where I store all my dead babies for all yeah. the cash strapped. Uh, medical medical examiner knew the identities of at least some of the infants and was trying to contact their families. Uh, the Detroit News reported they appeared to be stillborn. Oh, so they're not like murdered babies. No, 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 no. But improper handling of, of a corpse. Yeah, is like that's that's a that's, that's illegal. Fucked and up. that's illegal. It's illegal, and it's just downright immoral and disgusting. Yeah, and not. Yeah, that. So that caught my attention. What's up with you getting the fucked up stories? My stories are like these letters are crazy, <laughs> and you're like, listen about these dead baby corpses. <laughs> It caught my eye. That's crazy. 
All right, so this week I'm going to talk about my favorite movie ever of all time, which is Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. 1984. Everybody knows that's your favorite. You have to say that now. Oh, yeah. In case not somebody confuses it with the 2016 one. 1984 Ghostbusters, which I'm not going to keep saying because I don't think that's actually necessary. So, Lady Ghostbusters, we went to go see in the theaters if we haven't talked about this before. We've talked about this. Oh, because Shot was rocking back and forth and Mason was like, <laughs> we should go. So we went out and Sean demanded a refund. He like went out to the to the little whatever those people are called clerks like i don't know what do you call those people ticket booth operators Tech, I don't ticket know. booth operators and he's like i would not expect my family to sit through this and they were like okay sir <laughs> they like gave him a full refund for all four tickets and logan was like i can't believe he's asking for a refund logan was so Which shocked blows my mind you guys were so, you took a picture of me getting a refund like it was was a big, who wouldn't get a refund for a defective product like that's what you dead do serious like he was rocking back and forth at how bad this movie was. And Mason like turned to me and was like, we should leave. <laughs> well, I should anyway. explain. Uh, it, it was two two levels or two different reasons. The main reasons that I was so upset. One is my love of the Ghostbusters franchise. Yeah, you the, do. The, you the original movie. I like the second movie. I like the second movie I like too. the cartoon. I like the real Ghostbusters. I, I, I like everything about the franchise. And it's been dormant for a very long time and mm -hmm. they chose to bring it back. So that, so that it offended me because they took something I loved and it was just one of the it was clearly just a cash grab. And we you know? all know that Paul Feig is garbage. So I don't that's weird. It, I don't I really liked Bridesmaids, though. I don't know what happened there. I don't know. I really hate what he did. Like, he, I feel like this goes back to Sony and Columbia Pictures where they're just like, ooh, let's. Let's bring back Ghostbusters and put a spin on it or something. You know what I mean? I really don't like Paul Feig. I don't like what he did to the Joel McHale show with Joel McHale. Look, it got canceled because he just fucked it up so bad. Yeah. Which is a shame because Joel McHale is quite funny. Yeah. Like that show. I understand that maybe Netflix really isn't the place for that for a. Right. A recap. Yeah, news for, recap show. But it's it's really like what he did to that was he ruined that show. Like the. Paul Feig, little segments in the goddamn audience. Paul Feig is terrible. Yeah. And you won't let me see a simple plan, so or whatever it's called. Simple, simple favor. favor. No, I've seen a simple plan. You made me watch a simple plan. Yeah. But we'll go see a simple favor. No, you won't let me. When I tried to, you made me go see Venom. Yeah. So that's true. Yeah. And that might happen again if we go to see a simple favor. We're going to have to wait until it comes out on what? Home video? Is that what we call it now? Yeah, home video. Okay. I don't know what else you call it. I don't either. That's what it is. It's home video. It's video. It's in your home. It's home video. Phrase still works. I don't see an issue with it. No matter how dated it sounds. I didn't so, say VHS. Wait till it comes out on beta and then we'll watch it. Beta Max. Yeah. All right. Cool. Anyway, so it, it was the, the, the one reason was the cash grab aspect of it. Clearly, they, they didn't put up. Did, the people who wrote it and produced it clearly didn't care about the source material. They were just using the franchise name itself. There was no passion there. It was just. And then and the second thing was. The writing was terrible. Well, yeah. It, the second thing was with any comedy, no matter how I feel about the property itself, if it's not funny, it's upsetting. You know, what I mean? when somebody's yeah. when something's failing to be funny and its whole goal is to be funny, it really turns me off. It's why I hate Family Guy so much. It's not funny. It's why I hate Big Bang Theory. Like they 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 make these quote unquote jokes that aren't funny. That's why I don't funny. like practical jokers. Right. Because it's not funny. It's hilarious and you're stupid. <laughs> I saw something that made me laugh on there last night when, when you had that on when I came home. Was I forget what that, it was. That mean joke about the chick? Yeah. When he, oh, that's when so he funny. Was, Yeah, when he told her to, he told him to say she was. She uh, was. She was a hot chick trapped in an average body. Yeah, in an average yeah. chick's body or something. Yeah. It's like, that's funny. That's the, solid. That's the stuff that I they say. I can appreciate it. And if like, it's funny, it's funny. I, I'm not going to dispute that. And I'm not going to say Family Guy has never had anything funny on it. I liked it when it very first came out in like the late 90s. I like I like it like when Practical Jokes, joke, Jokers, yeah, that's the name of the show. Impractical Jokers. Impractical, whatever it's called. I like it when they're, when they're mean to people. Like that shit's funny. I like that. Yeah. A lot of the funny. stuff they say is just and stupid, And a lot of the though. stuff that they say like that, like, 
they're doing it because they know the people won't do it. Like, yeah, that's lame. Certain, I sh- like, they need like people Q, more like Q is one of the guys and he'll be mean. So they'll say stuff like that because they know he'll oh, say okay. it. I was going to say, they need something like and Nathan like, Fielder who will say well, mean they shit. Have, they do. They have ones who won't say it. So they do. They, they say that to them. So that way the person will lose or whatever because he won't say it. Yeah. And then they have people who will say it. So they say it because they know. It's, right. It's I like the show. That's the one show Sean and I disagree on is it's so I like weird, it. I think the it's majority funny. of it is this super broad comedy, I guess, Some where they talk, really you know, tell, tell them you like diarrhea. It's like, how is that's not funny? No, that's not funny. That's like the majority like, of the show. And I'm just like, that's that's like second grade level humor. Some of, it's is, not, some of it's not funny, but some of it is really funny. So and it's really good background noise. Like, yeah, I like that, it. It's fine. For as much of an elitist as everyone thinks I am, I, I genuinely don't care what people watch. That's not true. I put that on to go to sleep the other night and you said, you have to turn this off. It's making me angry. That's what you said to me. OK, but, but what I mean by what I don't I don't what I'm saying is it doesn't affect my opinion of you. But yeah, if something makes me angry, that's one thing. Like it, when people again, it's same thing with Ghostbusters. When when you're you're supposed to be funny and it's not funny, it makes it causes some sort of chemical imbalance in me and I get angry instead. Yeah. Because if it's when you can tell people are trying to be humorous and they're not, it it, it just makes me really angry. I, I I can't imagine I'm the only person like that. So anyway, back to Ghostbusters, the best. Right. The bestest movie ever made. We're really good doing a great job keeping the short. Right. I'm going to maybe spread this out into a two-part series. Maybe just talk about the... All right, so I'm just going to take uh, some stuff from Wikipedia to try to keep it short here. So I think most people know this, but the the concept for the movie was from the mind of Dan Aykroyd. So Dan Aykroyd was fascinated with the paranormal. Uh, he conceived of it as a vehicle for himself and John Belushi. In the original story written by Aykroyd, it, it, it was a lot different than what was actually filmed. Uh, the original version, they were called the Ghost Smashers. That and sounds like you have sex with ghosts. <laughs> so these Ghost Smashers, they travel through time, space, and other dimensions combating huge ghosts. Like the, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man was one of them. And a ghost called Onion Head. Onion Head became Slimer. Do you not know that? That was his name in, in pre-production. Know everybody Bitch. knows Onion Head was Slimer. Did you know that? Yeah, now I just oh, found no. out. I thought everybody ago. knew about Onion Head, and that's why I was waiting for you to, to chime in. It huh? didn't work out. Yeah. I thought everybody knew Onion Head became... Was John Belushi dead at this point? Is that why he's not... Yeah, know? he couldn't make it. He couldn't make it him. due to his death? Yeah. They should have brought him back, like with CGI, and had him be a ghost. So they wore SWAT-like outfits and used wands instead of proton packs to fight the ghosts. Original storyboards show them wearing Riot Squad-type helmets with movable transparent visors. In addition to a similar title, the movie shares the premise of professional exterminators on a uh, paranormal mission with uh, the Bowery Boys slapstick comedy Spookbusters, as well as with the 1937 Disney short Lonesome Ghosts, which includes the line, I ain't scared of no ghost. Oh, so he stole that from Disney? Well, there's a whole thing about the song. I won't get into about Huey Lewis and Ray. I don't remember that Ray Parker Jr., the guy who actually did it. Yeah. And I guess Huey Lewis sued him because, yeah. So, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff. But we're, we're not even going to get into the, the, the whole theme song there. What? Oh, no, I want to know it. <laughs> because we, I want to keep this short. So okay, you have to well, edit that's not going to feel bad for you. That's not going to work because now I want to know. Maybe, maybe next week. Right. But I, I want to know do. now. <laughs> Too bad. Oh, All right. Sucks. Hang on. Let me reference my... I have a Ghostbusters book here. He has a literal, like, old school magazine style. Like, remember when you were a kid in the 80s and, like, a movie would come out and you would buy one oh, of those? This is much bigger than that. This is, like, that binding. But, yeah, I mean, it's similar to that. But Like, Sean bought, a like, a one of those... Do you hear the pages turning? Because I feel like you can hear it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they do. It sounds like farts. It's not, though. It's just me turning pages here. Yeah, there was a whole article in here about the song, and now I'm going to have to go reference it just for you. Damn it. Janet, I, I love gonna you. I wasn't going to go into the song. And now oh, you cover Rocky Horror Picture Show. No, that's your thing. Here's the problem. 
I'm not good at covering the stuff like you, you do. You don't but know someone that. Someone needs to cover someone. By someone, I mean you <laughs> need to cover Clue and Rocky Horror See, Picture Show. And again, Show. you have to do it because that's your passion. Oh, that's why. I don't that's call why my you passion. To, yeah, you are passionate about those things. I am not. Although, oddly, I'm the only one who's actually seen Rocky Horror Picture Show in a proper environment. That's because someone won't take me. I'll gladly take you. I threatened to take you and you, you oh, turn it down. I don't. That's because I don't like to do things at that hour. <laughs> That's too late. The theme tunes litigious history. Back in 1984, when Huey Lewis heard something strange, he didn't call the Ghostbusters. He called his lawyers. And this is all from this, uh, the complete special effects guide to Ghostbusters that I'm, I'm reading from just to give credit where it's due here. He reckoned that Ray Parker Jr.'s famous theme was a ripoff of his own track, I Need a New Drug, released earlier in the year. You know that song, right? No. You don't know I Need a New Drug by Huey Lewis? I don't know any songs by Huey Lewis. Oh, that's sad. I like Huey Lewis. Anyway, the basic riff in both songs is very similar. Lewis instructed his legal representatives to sue, but the dispute was eventually settled out of court. The two, two musicians issued a joint press release in 1985, claiming the matter had been amicably resolved. Neither of them mentioned the case again until 2001, when in an interview for VH1's Behind the Music series, Huey Lewis broke his silence. He didn't seem to think the issue had been amicably, amicably resolved at all. The offensive part was not so much that Ray Parker Jr. had ripped his song off. It was kind of symbolic of an industry that wants something. They wanted our wave and they wanted to buy it. In the end, I suppose they were right. I suppose it was for sale because basically they bought it. At which point the story took a bizarre turn with Ray Parker Jr. suing Huey Lewis. Apparently there was a gagging clause in the original settlement, which meant that neither of them were supposed to talk about the details. Parker Jr. told the press that the confidentiality agreement was directly related to his comfort, happiness, and welfare, and that Lewis's inflammatory, disparaging, and false comments had caused him emotional distress. The outcome of that case has never been made public. What other songs does Huey Lewis have? I don't know anything about him. Power of Love from Back to the oh, Future. Oh, I know that one song. I know that song. Yeah. I can't think of any other song titles. But the album Sports, everybody loves his his sports album, Hugh Lewis in the News. He had a bunch of hits off of that. Is that is that the song that they use in uh, Tim and Eric? No. Sports. <laughs> Tim and Eric's sports song. And now I have to go back to my original place in my book here. Where was I? You got me all sidetracked. You got me all flustered well, I wanted off to... on this song nonsense. I don't know. <laughs> all right so Aykroyd's first draft of the film was much more frightening in tone than the final film and rich in technical words and phrases Dan Aykroyd said I've been working on it on and off for a couple of years always with the idea of having John Belushi involved I was in fact writing one of his lines when I heard that he had died it was a terrible blow but eventually I came to realize that the picture really served any three guys Bill Murray was the first of the Ghostbusters cast to read the script he was intrigued and recommended it to Ivan Reitman, no stranger to horror comedies, having begun his directing career with Cannibal Girls. And, huh? Yeah. Is that a movie? Yeah. With uh, your boy, Eugene Levy. Doesn't, he, why would, what? That's not my boy. <laughs> you know, that's your boy. You're always talking about those dreamy eyebrows. So according to Reitman, Dan had written only 40 or 50 pages at that point. And frankly, I had no idea how I would go about making it into a film. For one thing, it was set in the future, not in the far future, but far enough. And it took place on a number of different planets or dimensional planes. And it was all action. There was very little character work in it. Ghostbusters were catching ghosts on the very first page and doing it on every single page after that without respite. Just one sort of supernatural phenomena after another. By the 10th page, I was exhausted. By the 40th or 50th, I was counting the budget and the hundreds of millions of dollars. And there really weren't very many laughs. Although I could detect a comic attitude, the whole thing was written rather seriously. In the end, I just kind of set it aside and forgot about it. End quote. Undeterred, Aykroyd rewrote his script and had his friend John DeVicus draw a conceptual art of the Ectomobile and their equipment. Aykroyd uh, recorded a videotape of himself wearing a makeshift uniform, which he sent to Reitman. Aykroyd says, Reitman said, what I focused on as I read the script again was Dan's really brilliant initial concept, the idea of a group of men who work out of an old fire hall and respond to emergencies much the way firemen do. The only difference is that these emergencies are supernatural in nature, and so what the Ghostbusters do is go out, trap ghosts, and incarcerate them. 
Reitman explained to Aykroyd that rather than start with the Ghostbusters established in their trade, the film should also explain how they came to be. He also told them that instead of the future, it should be set in a modern American city and tell the, the story of their first really big bust. Most importantly, he recommended that Aykroyd collaborate with Harold Ramis. Aykroyd said, right after our lunch meeting, Ivan and I walked over to Harold's office, which, like Ivan's, was on the Burbank Studios lot. At the time, Harold happened to be reading another script I'd written about Canadian Mounted Police. I told him to put the script aside, and I replaced it with the Ghostbusters script. So after reading the script and listening to what we had to say for about 20 minutes, he said, okay, I'm in. Columbia Pictures chairman Frank Price agreed to finance the film, provided it didn't cost more than $25 million, and was delivered for the summer of 1984, when Columbia needed a major release. This gave him time to revise the script, shoot the film, and do all the post-production visual effects. Ramis and Aykroyd spent the next three months rewriting in Reitman's offices. Although Ramis loved much of the script he'd read, he was concerned that Aykroyd's Ghostbusters were hired guns working for a little-seen employer. Ramis said, For me, comedy always seems more dynamic when characters choose to do what they are doing, choose to do what they are doing rather than being victims of circumstance. So we decided that the overall motivation would be much stronger if the Ghostbusters initiated the business themselves and were therefore captains of the captains of their own destiny. So working together, Ramis and Aykroyd gave the Ghostbusters their distinct personalities and motivations. Ramis says, in essence, that translated into one character being hipper and more verbal than the others, more of a huckster, the salesman of the team. Someone who's weak on the technical side, probably didn't do all that well, well in school, but is smart enough to have hooked up with, with these guys that are more intelligent than he is. That, of course, was Bill's character, Bill Murray. Bankman. Peter Bankman. Yeah, obviously. Then it's always useful to have a mechanic, a nuts and bolts person, honest, straight ahead, enthusiastic. That really worked out for Dan Aykroyd as Ray Stance. For my character, Egon Spangler, we went for a human computer. Someone who is who has no emotional life whatsoever, who only deals in facts and information. A new wave Mr. Spock. For actors, and especially a group of comedy, those kind of archetypes always seem to work. The original script's ending, which the Ghostbusters are split up and scattered into different dimensions, was abandoned, though Aykroyd's Onion Head Ghost and Stay Puft Marshmallow Man were kept. Reitman contributed numerous edits and suggestions throughout the scriptwriting process, most significantly, significantly the idea that the Ghostbusters were university parapsychologists. I think that's a good spot to end, and we'll just pick it up. This is a nice short podcast. <laughs> 55 <it>? minutes. <laughs> so We wrapped it up nice and quick. Right, just like yeah. we promised. Oof. I mean, I was done. At... You were done. Yeah, you got. Hey, you did your part. Okay. So that that's it for this week. I felt awfully abrupt. Yeah, I know, right? You were but just I, like, I they just, were parapsychologists and bye. I just feel bad because you don't feel good. Yeah, I'm sick. Like, it's, <laughs> there's there's the title. I'm sick. I'm <laughs> that's sick, it. I'm sick. I, I has a sick. I don't know what I mentioned, but I'm sick. So, yeah, that's it. For this week, I'll continue my Ghostbusters. I could probably do like a nine-part series, but I'll try to keep it down to two. I think that's more reasonable. It's the okay. best movie. It's the greatest movie ever. Yeah, the Paul Feig version, right? No. Don't start with me. You love Paul Feig. You love Paul Feig. I fucking hate Paul Feig. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, guys.